With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. As promised, we will talk about the week that just was in the Big Ten Conference. And we must begin with the gnashing of teeth in Lincoln, Illinois. Or, sorry, over three, two. HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. As promised, the podcast of the week where we talk about the week that was in the Big Ten, we must begin in Lincoln, Nebraska. Northern Illinois, 21. Nebraska, 17. Northern Illinois only scored one offensive touchdown. They, they led 14 nothing at halftime on two pick sixes. Steve, the best football fans in the world. Um, a lot of them left at halftime, never came back. They didn't, they didn't get a chance to let go of their balloons till late in the second half. Man, I don't know if you got a chance to read the Tom Chattels of the world, the Stephen M. Sipples of the world, the Dirk Chalatane or whatever his name is. Holy crap. Did those keepers, holy keepers of the Nebraska Flame, a.k.a. the biggest fans in the world who also happen to be beat writers, they came unglued yesterday, um, or on Sunday, or rather, Saturday night in their, in their gamers. Sean Eichhorst, the Nebraska AD, someone who all the Nebraska beat writers made a point to say, Lowe's attention, Lowe's public comment showed up unplanned out in the hallway amongst the media and they said why are you here to talk to us he just said he feels like the program needs some support and leadership i mean it it's all over but the crying i think already three games into the season well there's 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 several angles to this john The, the first is I never understood the hire from the beginning, and we'll, we'll share some of the comments I said the week that they hired him almost three years ago in a few minutes. I, I never understood the hire in the beginning. It made no sense to me. Guy with no ties to the region, given his age, even if it worked, you were going to make a change in the next few years anyway. You know That so, might be my favorite part of your comments from the day he was hired. You said, even if this works, you're going to be doing this all again in five or six years anyway. Right. You know, so I, it, it didn't make any sense. I, I mean, I, the Ed Orgeron hire at LSU is not a good hire, but it makes sense. What does that mean, Steve? What it means is if you're LSU and you're paying an arm and a leg to less miles, your state is bankrupt right now. OK, you know, Ed Orgeron is going to recruit like a mother, dude. He's going to everybody wants to praise Brady Hoke for all the players who left Jim Harbaugh. Times that by five is what Ed Orgeron's going to do for the next LSU coach. 
They're going to walk into an NFL farm team, bro. Okay? And it won't be like just one or two classes. It'll be like five. And so you, you, if you're LSU, you see what they're doing. All right, we'll, we'll swing it. We'll swing for the fences. If we get Tom Herman, then I will call up Billy Bob to get that extra seven mil I need. If we can't get Tom Herman, though, we'll just let Ed Morgeron recruit like a mother for a few years, win seven to nine games, wait, wait out Nick Saban's retirement, and then we'll get our guy. And he'll walk in with a full cover. You know what I'm, It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Ed Orgeron's not a good coach. You saw that at Mississippi State on Saturday. This guy still hasn't won a true road game as a head coach in the SEC in his career. So it, it, he's not a good coach, but there is no doubt he is going to make them a triple-A franchise in the, NFL, in the NFL. So it's just a matter of wait till Saban retires, then we, we, we hand that, the, the, that guy, because now our job's even more attractive that you don't have to go after Nick Saban every year. Hand that guy a blank check like the Cubs once did Andre Dawson back in the day, and we're off to the races, right? But it, so it's a bad hire, but it makes sense. This never makes sense. He's not Ed Orgeron, where he's, he's a local guy, loved with the community. People will will rally behind. He doesn't bring a natural. He a, he's he's not tied to the local recruiting base. Now he has recruited fairly well the last couple of years, but that in some respects almost makes it worse, because now you're you've you've allowed this guy to recruit to a system that the next coach, if he's not married to that system, you're now looking. Looking at what is this now? Since since Solich was let go 15 years ago, uh, they went to the pro style with Callahan, then West back Coast, to the, yeah, yeah then, then kind of back to a more Osborne style under Pelini. Now back to a West Coast. You're going to try four offensive scheme overhauls in 15 years. That's that's insanity when you look at the way you have to recruit. And they don't have a natural recruiting base right now as a program because they're not Midwest enough to go walking. In Chicago, go walk into Detroit, go walk into Ohio, and they're not Texas enough to go down there anymore. So they don't really have a natural recruiting base, number one. They're not a national brand. Even Oregon doesn't have a recruiting base either, but they're still a national brand. They're only three years removed off of playing for the national freaking championship. All right, Nebraska hasn't won a conference title of any kind since 1999, which means kids that are getting ready to sign in 2018 – Weren't alive, John. Weren't alive. Last time they won a conference title. So they don't have a national brand. They don't have a, 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 a geographically, a geocentric recruiting base. So even if this worked, you were going to do this again in a few years. The hire never made any sense. The reason the AD's out there, because really it's his ass that's on the line. But not Mike Riley's. Mike Riley will walk away here 65, 66 years old with a big fat payday. One of the nicest guys you ever met. Had a nice career, got to coach in the NFL. So he's, I mean, he'll, he'll, he's had a nice life. Sean Eichhorst, it's his, his ass is in the sling right now. He put his credibility on the line with this move, getting rid of a guy that, yeah, lost four games every year, but won nine games every year as well. Getting rid of him, bringing this guy in, this was his master stroke. So you bet your sweet bippy Sean Eichhorst needs to be out there front and center because, really, if I were a Nebraska fan, he's the one I'd be looking at and – I'd be asking myself, do I want him making the next hire or not? So uh, to me, Sean Eichhorst is on the line here even more than Mike Riley is. The other thing I don't understand, so that's one, that's one layer. Actually, it's two layers. Here's another layer I never understood. Why did anybody believe a guy who could barely complete 50% of his passes at Tulane was going to save a program in the Big Ten? Well, Steve, he'll be surrounded by better talent. Yeah, 
on the other team, too. He'll face better. Just It's relative. He'll face better talent. If you could not be above average or dominant at the at the at the group of five level, I don't know why anybody thought the guy was going to dominate. The best era of Big Ten football in ten or fifteen years has happened since you know that era where Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan, all those teams were in the top ten in the early two thousands. This that's fifteen years ago now. That's the last time the league was this good. So maybe it maybe the league that Mark. Antonio was dominating. Maybe Tanner Lee could come in and dominate that. All right, he's not dom, but a guy that was barely fifty percent at Tulane isn't just going to come walk right in and dominate at Nebraska. That you and I talked about that all summer. That never made any sense to me. I never understood that. And you're watching that play itself out right now. So to me, there's the AD angle. There's why this coach was even hired to begin with. Angle. There's the Tanner Lee angle. We haven't even talked about the fact they ran their defense. Mike Riley so wanted this to work. He ran his, one of his best friends, who was his defensive coordinator through numerous other jobs for 20 years, to bring Bobby Diaco in to run a totally different system, who, by the way, now is the highest-paid assistant in the history of the program. They've lost their entire defensive identity. I, I think they're in a lot of trouble. I, I really and, – and they don't really have – you know, I, you're at the point now, you really need Scott Frost to have a big year at Central Florida. Because that – one guy that has the name cachet has a resume could reunite that fan base and could borrow some of the of, of, of the of the national recruiting perspective that Oregon had to have running that system to be a dominant program but you know uh, I, I don't they what's their identity as a team what is it it isn't they, they don't have an identity they have no identity they have little nicknames that they just pull out of their history box that have no bearing on the way their team plays now. They don't have any advantage at either line of scrimmage. That was my biggest question mark coming into this year for them was whether or not in one off season they could actually walk the talk of wanting to get tougher at the line of scrimmage. The answer to that, certainly at least on the offensive line, is no. They're soft. They have no identity. The only identity they have is a sellout streak. That's it. Well, and I think you could sense that in the reaction prior to the loss on against Northern Illinois. All the people you just mentioned in the media, the gatekeepers, as you call them, they were having a they were having a conniption fit over losing the Black Friday showcase game that Nebraska has had going back nineteen ninety. You know, yeah, when it was Nebraska, Colorado used to play in that game. Um, you know, the Friday after Thanksgiving, how many years, you know, and losing that showcase, I think that was clearly taken. And I think rightfully so, as you guys just really aren't that important anymore. Well, uh, you, you well, know? Mike, no, Mike Riley said that he actually was kind of glad because he doesn't like Black Friday games because it's a short preparation time. And I, of course, was out there just parroting what his coach said. You know, and meanwhile, in Iowa City, Kirk Ferentz says at his press conference on Tuesday, hey, I actually kind of like Black Friday because it gives kids an extra time with their family for Thanksgiving. And Gary Barta said on Saturday, you know, here, he's like, I'm going to reach out to Barry Alvarez and we're going to try and get that game on Black Friday because here at Iowa, we like that. He, He threw in a here at Iowa on that. 48 hours later, after Nebraska's, you know, coach and AD said what they said, they then reverse fortune and say, no, we're going to try and get Black Friday back. Just an abysmal 
PR yeah. wreck. And that's before that, they even kicked off against Northern Illinois. That, that was Nebraska's Coke Zero moment. That's when we, a few years ago, remember when Michigan, if you bought a Coke Zero, you got a free ticket to the game. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was their Coke Zero moment right there. Okay. Because Michigan's, Michigan's brand, you mentioned Nebraska's sellout streak. Well, it's 100. How many games in a row for 100,000 fans? To keep that streak alive at the end of the Hoke era, Michigan literally had to give tickets away if you bought a Coke Zero. All right. And when Michigan fans found out about that, that's how you end up with a revolt on campus. Because people now, now you feel like you're you've just you're losing your identity. You're not you don't just you not just suck you don't just suck. Now you're an embarrassment. And that's that's what that Black Friday moment was for a program as proud as Nebraska. It was it was your own school admitting, yeah, we ain't all that, you know. In fact, we're not even going to really even fight for it because, you know, it's really not that important to be all that anymore. And that's when the fans will now say, when, whenever you let the fans believe, you don't care as much as they do. Mm-hmm. They will, When you have a proud brand like a Michigan and Nebraska or, you know, right now in the NBA with the Lakers, okay, you know, they had to draft that kid because the it was you were beginning to communicate to the fans. Regardless of his dad, they had to pick him. Because you cannot let, if you are a proud brand, you cannot let the fans believe that they care more than you do. Because that is where they will turn on you. You will become an object of scorn and ridicule now with your own fans. They will feel like you have patronized them, condescended them, and... You, 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 those running that program at those moments, you don't recover from them if you allow that to happen. Sure. No. Good point. Um, you, you mentioned Tanner Lee earlier. Um, right now, Kyle Bowen from Rutgers, he has four interceptions in three games, uh, three touchdown passes and four interceptions, and that's not really good. Tanner Lee, he has thrown seven interceptions, seven interceptions to five touchdowns. That's not good. I, you know, Steve. You are in a position where you give opinions every day for a living, and you've done this like for almost 20 years now, maybe even 20 years. Um, you don't always get your predictions right, but you get a number of them right, and more so than probably your haters want to admit. I want to throw you a bone. I'm going to replay some uh, a 2 minute and 15 second highlight clip from a much longer conversation you and I had in December of 2014. We happened to be podcasting the day that uh, Nebraska announced they were hiring Mike Riley. And remember, to set the stage here, um, Nebraska had to evaluate where Iowa was as a program, and they fired Bo Pelini. Uh, since then, I think Iowa's 23 and 8, and Nebraska's 16 and 13, but who's counting? Um, and <laughs> in obviously, le- you are. <laughs> in less than one week, in less than one week, I coursed, went out, and hired Mike Riley in less than a week as a lone wolf search committee, which I don't have a problem with an AD going out and making a hire. It's his job. But in less than one week, he hires Mike Riley. And I basically said at the start of that podcast that I wasn't a fan of it. And we'll pick it up here at the point where I ask you what you thought. Again, you're about to hear Steve from December of 2014, literally hours after Nebraska had announced that they were hiring Mike Riley as their coach. I thought it was a disastrous hire. Dumpster fire, hot mess, epic fail, um, disaster. 
In fact, I think this might be this, 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 this on the surface sight unseen is the worst major college coaching uh, decision I can think of in recent memory in terms of the total transaction. Un it just makes no sense. It makes, it makes no sense. I mean, you're talking about a guy whose rushing offenses the last three years finished in ranked in the hundreds in college football. Here's his records the last few years, five and seven, seven and six. There's one nine win season, three and nine, five and seven. That's what he's done the last five years. Really, the last four years, he's got an under 500 record in conference. He's never won a conference title. Uh, this seems to me to hire. This is Bill Callahan. Now we're going to run a pro style offense with Tommy Armstrong. Enjoy. Uh, I I don't. It, it makes. He's 61 years old. You just you just fired a guy after going nine and three to hire a 61 year old coach that has won exactly as many championships as the guy you just fired. He's 61. He's going to get negative recruited, John, from day one. From day one. He's going to get negative recruited. Hey, how do you know your coach is going to be there while you're there? He's 61 years old. And, you know, the previous podcast we did, I said, Nebraska needs a hook. They need a niche. Tell me what the hook is here. I hope I'm wrong. The Big Ten needs Nebraska good. This, though, to me, it is, looks like a disaster. And, you know, you hear in college basketball when a kid takes a bad shot and the announcer says, you know, you took that shot that early in the shot clock. We could have gotten that shot with five seconds Agreed. the clock. Agreed. You could have hired this guy a month from now if everybody else said no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If everybody else said no, you could have got this guy a month from now. You do a three-day search, and this is what you roll out with? Really? Good freaking night. Fireable offense. I agree. This, this athletic director is probably not going to hire another football coach in Nebraska, would be my guess. Not a bad call. Not a bad call. Well, I appreciate you throwing me a freaking bone there, Austin Powers. Every now and then, hey, listen, I am living proof, kids. If you give enough opinions, eventually one of them will be right. <laughs> exactly. Um, as I mentioned, I, I will play the whole, I think it's like 14 minutes long. Steve and I just lamented this, and there were some other good lines in there. I'll put that at the end of this podcast. For those of you that, that don't want to listen to it, you can just stop listening. For those of you uh, who enjoy the uh, Schadenfreude uh, or Schadenfreude or whatever, um, you can listen to it and, and enjoy Nebraska's miseries. So, Steve, one last comment on Nebraska. They sit right now at 1-2 and two with Big Ten play about to begin they need to go five and four just to get to six and six now here's their schedule home against Rutgers at Illinois the next two weeks gotta you know if they don't go two and oh then Riley and I course just need to pack it up right there so let's mm -hmm. give let's give them two wins so let's say that they're three and two with seven games to play. Here's the rest of their schedule. You tell me what you think the WNL is right now. Okay. Home against Wisconsin. Uh, that's a loss. I mean, they're probably a eight to ten point underdog at home against them. Home against Ohio State. Double digit underdog. That's a loss. At Purdue. I mean, they just lost there two years ago. You know, I mean, so I, I would guess now. 
who will know a lot more about Purdue and right. Michigan too, probably after Saturday. But I would guess right now, if they were to play, Purdue would be a three or four point favorite at home. Right. Home against Northwestern. Northwestern's had their num. Now they beat them last year uh, in Evanston, but prior to that, yeah, Northwestern North- beat them like three years in a row or something. Yeah, like that? beat them a couple times in Lincoln at Minnesota. Yeah. Well, that now we're now we're kind of in. Are we almost to November now? We're on okay. November eleventh. All right, and the reason why I bring that up is because it's cold. This is, it's cold, but this is also where the enthusiasm level of a PJ Fleck and a new coach and the girl with the curl, as you like to say, and you're the new hotness, and, and a sixty-four-year-old coach, and is he on his way out? I think that matters a lot more on November eleventh than October eleventh, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, a lot more. Yep. At Guys Penn, start looking at the end of the tunnel at that point. No now. doubt. At Penn State. I Yeah, I think we know that. Yeah. And then home against Iowa. Well, and Iowa's, you know, except for a crazy, you know, quarter and a half to end the game a few years ago in Iowa City, Iowa's basically controlled this series the last few years. So basically their last seven games I just went down there for you. If we give them the two wins against Rutgers and at Illinois – they have to go three and four in those seven games to get to six and six. I don't know that it's going to happen. I think it's doable. It's doable, I, sure. I, I I I would not bank on it. I don't even know that I'd bank that they would go and win at Illinois. I don't. Mm. Northern Illinois is not one of the better teams in the MAC, and you just lost to them by giving up one offensive touchdown. <laughs> that can't happen, man. I mean, that just. That's a systemic breakdown of your of your football team right there. Don't that, doubt. That's and and I t- I said on this podcast last week the so-called comeback against Oregon was fool's gold. Oregon basically stopped playing. Tanner Lee, yeah, they put up a bunch of points in the second half, but a lot of it was Oregon mistakes. Tanner Lee still finished the game. What did I I pointed this out last week. They still barely ran for 100 yards. And they and he still was under fifty percent completions, so those aren't the stats of a team that came out with a house of fire to prove something and get their pride back in the second half. No, that was that was an or a young Oregon team that isn't used to winning again after last year. That kind of thought the game was over and got really sloppy. This wasn't Tanner Lee went nuts against a pre, playing a prevent defense in the second half. Hell, he was barely completing fifty percent of those passes too. You know, they still couldn't run the ball, even with Oregon having a massive letdown. To me, that was a danger sign last week. Now, I never thought they would lose this game, but when we did our picks on Thursday, I thought I told you I thought that number scared the bejeebus out of me. You cannot lose to them, though, giving up. This isn't the Michael the Burner Turner Northern Illinois. This isn't the Northern Illinois, the you know, that we saw seven or eight years ago that was clearly the better team, the best team in the MAC. You can't lose to them giving up one offensive touchdown, man. You you just you just can't. And and something that I, I I was trying to think of who did the game. Did Les Miles do that game? Oh my gosh, it was like Homer. It was horrible. It was horrible. But who, it was horrible. But somebody made a point at the end of the game. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody made a point at the end of the game that when you look at recruits within the Big Ten footprint. Northern Illinois has actually recruited better the last few years than Nebraska has. And that does matter because, you know, it's good that Mike Riley has ties to Cali because Nebraska going back to Devaney. Yeah, you could get – they've had some great tailbacks come out of Omaha, for example. 
But you are always going to need some of your skill guys on offense or defense to come from outside right. the footprint. But the basis of the program was always the footprint. Remember how legendary their walk-on program was, and Hayden Fry wanted to emulate that at Iowa, right? Okay? You can't have the base of your program be guys outside your footprint. Because why? Because the, the, you're, they're so far outside their support structure of home and family and everything else that it's, you know, your supply lines get thin. Well, it's, it's like the, a good shooter in basketball. If you have a repeatable motion, you know you're going to be a good three-point shooter yes. and you can work your way out of a funk. In recruiting what you're talking about, this is not a repeatable strategy. They can't rely yes. every year on going out of the footprint for those skill position players. Yes, yes. Maybe you can get one or two of them, and that, and and if you're and if you've built uh, if you're fortified in your main recruiting area, that's good enough. But you can't count on pulling that off every single year. You're exactly right. Yeah, and that's their problem. Um, you talk about maybe you know not just giving them the wind against Illinois. Illinois lost forty-seven twenty-three at South Florida. South Florida had thirty-eight first downs. Thirty-eight first downs in this game. 680 yards of offense, 304 passing, 376 rushing at 5.7 yards a clip in a game that I think was near the NCAA record for combined penalties. They had 31 combined in this game. That's enough. I mean, I don't know. Illinois, not good. Totally different offense, though. Yeah, they're not good. Totally different offense from Nebraska's running. They don't have a Quinton Flowers at quarterback. And I think that, you know, we talked about this game on Thursday that you and I both saw it the same way. We thought that spread was outrageous, but I was going to play it because I thought it was so outrageous that it was a trap. And I think what you saw there is South Florida that on Friday night, they finally decided to start the 2017 college football season. Okay, I mean, they were not good against San Jose State. They were direct against Stony Brook. And, And then you have a hurricane. And they're barely practicing. And guys are, you know, with their families trying to make sure they're safe. They don't lose everything. And it just – and I think that was why – I think Vegas sensed that South Florida was ready to have its, its, its you know, arrival – its announcement of its arrival uh, a game. They were overdue for it. And the frustration of, of the hurricane and something to rally around and to play for – I think you throw all of those things in, and I think that adds something to do with it. I think Illinois probably um, got too much confidence off of beating Western Kentucky, who it turns out may not be as good as they've been the last right. several years because they just lost to Louisiana Tech as well. Um, you know, but that's it. There is nobody in the Nebraska football program that can do what Clinton Flowers can do. And when you have a guy that can do that, going back to our previous podcast this week, running the pistol, the RPO. When you have a quarterback that can do what Clinton Flowers can do, then with the with those run pass options, you've seen Lamar Alexander or Lamar Jackson at, at Clemson. Unless you dominate his team at the line of scrimmage, and Clemson did on Saturday, and, and and some teams did at the end of last year, but unless you can dominate his offensive line at the line, of, now you and I could name three or four other guys for Louisville the last two years. Doesn't matter. Because of that RPO, unless you can just flat out dominate the other side's offensive line, 
if you have a quarterback like a Quentin Flowers or Lamar Jackson, they're going to make those other guys look like they're a lot better players than they really are. And I think that's what Illinois ran into. Penn State, 56 nothing over Georgia State. I mean, had a bunch of big plays. Not a very good team. And they called a timeout with 11 seconds to go as Georgia State was lined up to kick a field goal. You know, it's funny. This is two weeks in a row now with James Franklin. All right? Last week it was beating Pitt was like beating Akron. Then there's this. So this is clearly an attempt. And I think it's an attempt to make sure his guys, you know, uh, he, he, we talked during the summer. This is a coach that's never had a preseason top ten team, and he's and this is a program that prior that hasn't had these sorts of expectations since prior to the Sandusky era. So that's not really who they are as a program anymore. And so I, I think you're getting, um, you know, I think James Franklin's giving you some giving giving us a bit of a shtick here, uh, in an attempt to keep his his team playing with an edge rather than resting on last year's laurels or even resting on these huge, uh, you know, margins that they're racking up against inferior opponents. Heartland Flagpoles and Flags has flags of various shapes and sizes, banners, windsocks, and more of nearly every team and every sport. That's college, NFL, MLB, NBA, and hockey. If you feel like maybe you're the only Seattle Seahawks fan in your neighborhood, don't worry. They have flags for you as well. Heartland Flags has more than 100 Iowa Hawkeye items from flags to tiki totems, metal signs, luggage tags, and so much more. Let your fandom fly when you shop at Heartland Flags. Free shipping. Seriously, when you shop online, we're talking about free shipping. Your orders will ship for free from Heartland Flags. HeartlandFlags.com is the website. Go check it out. Dace, he's a huge Michigan fan. He's a Detroit Lions fan. Rob Howe is a New York Mets fan. I went to their website. HeartlandFlags.com has it for you. Again, free shipping on all orders online. Follow them on Twitter at HeartlandFlags. And once again, visit them online at HeartlandFlags.com. I don't disagree with you there. Um, Michigan, 29-13 over Air Force. You know, we talked about in the um, podcast earlier this week, uh, the Iowa-North Texas podcast, how you know some people are just looking at box scores. And I-, I can't sit here and say that when you look inside this box score, you- your eyebrows don't raise a little bit. To me, you know, as much as anything, it's that red zone comment that was tweeted out quite a bit this weekend michigan what 10 trips to the red zone and just one touchdown this year um is is are you concerned with michigan yeah i don't know it to me that is the concern is that um i mean you, you hold air force to their lowest rushing total as a program in five years you outrush them that's damn near impossible to outrush them in a game just because of the style they play yeah you know so you did a, you're doing a lot of things right here but where the youth is really is really shown is on the other side of the football, which is about chemistry, precision, timing, and, and it's just going to take some time. There's, there's just a lot of new elements there. There's 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 a lot of guys that have played. You know, if you watched Michigan last year, you saw a lot of Chris Evans and these guys, but they're not a lot of guys that have played t- together. And that's and if you're a Michigan fan, what you're hoping is. Uh, I, what did Troy Calhoun, the Air Force coach, said that if Michigan's offense or Michigan's defense and special teams were so good 
that if they didn't play with an offense and just the other two uh, facets, they'd still be bowl eligible, is what he said. <laughs> that might be a little over the top, okay? Um, that's a, in fact, it is a little over that's the top. That's funny, though. But the, but, there, but the point still stands in that they're so good in those areas that if you're a Michigan fan, you're just hoping that eventually those guys are going to click. You're just hoping you don't lose a game or two, like Saturday, um, because you leave points on the field. And, you know, they're, they're one for ten in the red zone this year in terms of touchdown conversions. We had five field goals on Saturday. Four of them were inside 40 yards. So that tells you the issue is not moving the ball. That tells you the issue is executing. And the play calling's erratic. You know, it's clear. You know, we talked in, in our earlier podcast this week about the rhythm that Brian Ferentz is in. Jim Harbaugh is in no semblance of that rhythm with his team right now. Um, you get the sense he doesn't necessarily know yet what are their bread and butter plays, what will work. You know, they, they do some quirky, you know, things we used to complain about Iowa doing for years, which is, you know, hey, if the team can't stop a play, why don't you just keep running it at them? Or if something's not working, why do you keep doing it? You know, Michigan fans are having some of those exact same conversations right now uh, that Iowa fans have had for a long time. Except in this case, I don't think it's a coach that's inherently conservative. I think it's a coach that doesn't quite have a rhythm and isn't quite clicking with his own team yet. It's going to get there eventually. You're just hoping that, you know, it, 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 you're not nine and two when it gets there. If you know what I'm trying to say, yeah. you lose a game or two, and with a with a team on defense that every bit is capable of competing for a national championship on that side of the ball. John, I'm just telling you, this might be the fastest Michigan defense I've ever seen. Hmm. It's crazy the amount of ground they make up with when you beat them outside with the ball in the air. I've seen them play three different defensive schemes in three different games. Um, it's crazy what they're doing on the defensive side of the football. But that offense, you know, it, Purdue is 9 for 12 converting touchdowns uh, in the red zone so far this year. So that stat's going to determine the whole game on Saturday. You know, and, and, and even if Michigan was 50%, the national average is about 65. So even if Michigan was just bad and was converting 50% of those, well, you go back the last two weeks, all right? So, you know, you beat Cincinnati. What was that score? 29 to 16 or something like that, all right? Well, let's say you're at 50% conversion in the red zone. You add another eight points. You know, we were talking in the previous podcast about what's 31 to 14 look like for Iowa. Is that a blowout or not? Well, you know, I know this 38 to 16 looks a hell of a lot better than 30 to 16 does. And I know 37 to 13 looks better than 29 to 13 does against Air Force. Right. So, yeah, when you're in the top 10 in those perception battles, you saw in the polls. We dropped the spot in the polls behind Washington. Who the hell's Washington beat? What the hell have they done all year? They haven't played a freaking team with a pulse. All year, except Rutgers, and they didn't get 100 yards rushing on them. But that's the perception game that you do have to worry about in this era, you bet. Wisconsin 40, BYU 6. BYU is um, down. Let's just say they're down from where they've been the last decade or so. But that's an impressive performance by Wisconsin. Alex Hornibrook, he was 18 of 19 for 256. He's your highest-rated passer in the Big Ten. Yeah, you know, and BYU's played a back played Merrill Hodges kid as a backup quarterback who was not very good you know so I'll say this for for Wisconsin they played Utah State who just lost 46 to 10 to Wake Forest then they played Florida Atlantic coming off our hurricane unable to get home 
in Lane Kiffin's first year. And then they play BYU, who's reeling, who scored one offensive touchdown against Portland State, um, didn't cross midfield against LSU, who just suffered one of the worst losses in the last 10 years to an, uh, that, for, that, a, that a top 15 team has suffered to an unranked foe this past weekend. And, and then, you know, only mustered one offensive touchdown in their in-state rivalry game and now is on their backup quarterback. So, you know, Wisconsin has, has barely played a live body. Now, they've, they've, the games have looked the way they're supposed to look, so we, I'll give them credit for that. But, but, John, they haven't played anything close to competitive competition. Uh, Minnesota, 34-3 over Middle Tennessee State. Got to admit, I was pretty impressed um, with this outcome for Minnesota. You know I'm not a big P.J. Fleck guy. You you have enough of that for um, for the both of us. But I know that – I am. I'm a slap. I will, you, I will own up to being a slap. You are. Um, Minnesota with um, basically a very dominant defensive performance, just 46 yards rushing for Middle Tennessee State. I'm not saying they're world beaters, but they've been a pretty salty program um, in recent years. And, you know, Minnesota only 3 of 12 on third downs, just 18 first downs for the game and 343 total yards themselves, but 221 on the ground. They're They're starting to develop a little bit of an identity, which certainly is nothing like the identity that Western Michigan had last year with P.J. Fleck. This is more of a uh, a gritty, hard-nosed, tough team that thus far, hey, you can't be better than 3-0. I think that's the – I think the last part you said is the key because, I mean, Middle Tennessee was without their quarterback, who is their best player, and that's big at any level, but particularly at a group of five level, you, the, the guy – you're just going to see a steep back uh, drop-off between – the starter and the backup. So once the once their starting quarterback was out, Middle Tennessee was going to be limited offensively uh, anyway. And uh, now Minnesota, though, needed to show some physical dominance at the line of scrimmage. And they did that with that running game. And they did that against Oregon State, too. Uh, but And again, neither one of those two teams are great rushing uh, defenses. But if you're P.J. Fleck and you're trying to establish a brand, and I give him credit. You know, you're right. Um, you know, he had Zach Terrell and Corey Davis, who's a first-round draft pick. They're throwing the ball all over the place at Western Michigan. Now you're seeing more of the guy who was a Jim Trestle protege, you know, and he inherits a, a program that brings back one of the best rushing tandems, if not the best one in terms of statistics in the Big Ten. And, you know, he knows his quarterbacks are limited. So I'm going to play to those strengths. And – you know, we'll we'll keep the culture of, of that he wants to build, but schematically it can look any way it needs to look for us to be successful. So I think he should get a lot of credit for that as a young coach. How about Purdue? Thirty-five-three against Missouri. Now, Missouri's not good. They are certainly on uh, hard times. You know, earlier this year they had a, a shootout with Missouri State that was just offensive, other than the stat sheet. But you know, Purdue has been rather offensive in Big Ten play in recent years. Look at these numbers. Purdue with 43-43 to 16-17 time of possession advantage on the road. And that's a Purdue team with that type of possession advantage. A team that threw for 272, ran for 205, had 26 first downs on the road, held Missouri to 10, held Missouri to just 203 total yards. I don't care how bad Missouri is. That's another Power 5 conference team. That's a good win for Purdue. Completely agree. Um, 
And I think now that we're three weeks in, we get some added extra context now. You know, I was I was kind of panning some of the BTN analysts for, you know, giving Purdue the Marco Rubio treatment, you know, as the greatest Fox News for a week wanted to let you know Rubio had the greatest third place finish in the history of intergalactic politics in the Iowa caucuses. They're kind of doing that with Purdue. This is the greatest game a team's ever played, giving up 635 yards of total offense ever. But turns out, um, you know, other than like the uh, fake news, Fox was peddling with Rubio, who was then out of the race in a month. Uh, BTN was on to something with Purdue. Because whether or not you and I think it's valid confidence, Purdue quickly, clearly, the Boilermaker players clearly took it as such. And since they're the guys actually playing on the field, their opinion on the matter matters a hell of a lot more than you and I, okay? And so they clearly took some confidence from Louisville just dropping the ball in the one-yard line for them twice. They clearly thought, this is a whole new team, all right? So it's working. Uh, they took a team that was, you know, we were talking about it's a bad loss for Nebraska because, you know, um, uh, not much is expected in the MAC out of Northern Illinois this year. Well, Ohio was considered one of the best teams in the MAC. They freaking housed them last week. You know, and Ohio just got a power five win against Kansas. Um, then you throw in, uh, you know, the way they play against Missouri. And, yeah, Missouri looks to me like a team that, that's quit on their season. All right? You know, they give up how many yards to Missouri State. They get dominated last week by South Carolina. Then they fire their defensive coordinator. And it's not even that Purdue scored 35. It's that where you wonder if Missouri's just kind of given up. is They have an explosive offense there with Drew Locke in the passing game and them only getting three points. So, so yeah, that's true. But given where Purdue's program was coming into this season, you can make an argument. They played the toughest non-conference schedule relative to where their, their program standing was at the start of the year. And they have looked good um, in all three of those contests. So you bet there ought to be some confidence there. In fact, Tom Deanhart, my old buddy from the sporting news, who's now with big 10 network, wrote a piece this week kind of comparing this debut from Jeff Brom to um, Joe Tiller's debut with, you know, unheralded Billy Dickin back in 97. And he took him to a bowl game that year. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility whatsoever. I think it's, I think it is, I don't know the rest of their schedule off the top of my head, but the way they're playing right now, I think they could potentially get to six wins. Um, Northwestern beat Bowling Green 49-7. to This is one game that you and I both certainly agreed on uh, in our picks. Northwestern was a 21.5-point favor. I put 13 on it. You put 2 on it. By the way, you won the pit. You won the points 73-68 this week. Uh, I went 9-6. and You went 8-7. and And uh, things are very, very tight thus far on points. Um, nice bounce back for Northwestern after the Duke loss and before the Big Ten begins. You know, they, they are much like many of the Iowa teams from the past uh, and probably still the current Iowa team. September, you just do not know what you're going to get from week to week. A lot of development takes place. Um, but that was a nice response for them. Yeah, I think nice response is good. Um, I'm, I'm still pretty shaken by what went down against Duke. It's not – you're right. It's not the losing, you know, but – even when I was developing, yeah, they, they don't. They, 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, the only time they lose like that is if they were playing at one a.m. on the West Coast, man. Okay. You I was know? just going to bring that up, but yes. 
Yeah. So yeah, they might they might lose to Iowa State or something in September, but unless they were playing at like 1 a.m. local time on the West Coast, they weren't losing that bad. And you know, it, it, it's freaking Durham, North Carolina, and North Northwestern and Duke have played pretty much perennially the last few years. So it's not like you're not familiar with them. Just to go out there and implode and be physically dominated four to one difference in total yardage you, you, i mean i'm gonna need I, i'm gonna need a couple weeks and you know me i love me some pat fitzgerald too that's another one of my coaching man crushes but i'm gonna i'm gonna need a couple weeks to get over that one and and you know taking care of mark grace's slump buster there called bowling green probably ain't gonna do it for me <laughs> um national scene alabama 41 colorado state 23 it, it it just seems like national media members are trying to contrive some type of controversy or or doubt about Alabama. Do you see anything thus far that's concerning to you? Um, they can't. And I say this acknowledging that you know the last two years, when when you lose a Sean Robinson and those guys to the NFL two years ago. And statistically, you're better than next year, which means Jonathan Allen, Tim Williams, these were your reserves. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy to think about it. That that was those were your rotation guys. That they were, and, and look how great they were last year. Um, they can't get the pressure on the quarterback with their front four that we've seen the last few years. Now, it's somewhat unfair to compare it to the last couple of years because of all the talent I just mentioned. That's that's filthy. That's that's Miami Hurricanes 1980s kind of stuff. All right, but there's a clear difference in the pressure they can get with their front four than what they have been able to get. And now, and now you're also that means you're blitzing more. Well, remember they've lost their two starting outside linebackers for the season. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So yeah. There's a bit of a difference. Jalen Hurts, still, you don't see the intermediate passing game there. Um, but you got to look on their schedule the rest of the way and tell me the team that you think can take advantage of that. Right. Uh, I still think at the end of the year, the game against Auburn, given the nature of the rivalry, um, is scary. Auburn, you want to talk about a misleading box score or misleading final score. The most misleading final score of the week is Auburn and Mercer. Because everybody's like, oh, they struggled, they struggled. And it looks like that on the scoreboard. They had like 600 yards. Jared Stenham was 32 out of 37 for 360 yards. That's freaking a video game number. What happened is Auburn had five turnovers in the game. And so 50 to 10, that's how when you're, when you're minus five in turnovers – that's how 50 to 10 against a nobody right. becomes 24 to 10. Okay. Right. Everything else that you wanted to see Auburn do after the debacle at Clemson, they did. So I still think that's a team with a playmaking quarterback and they get Cameron Johnson back. You know, he's, he's not healthy right now. And he's their big play guy. He's their Akram Wadley, their Saquon Barkley. I'm not saying he's good as those guys, but that's what he does for them. He's their in space playmaker. And, and that helps Cameron Petway be that bulldozing running back. Right now, they just have the bulldozing running back uh, without the explosive guy, which means just get the bulldozing running back running sideways and you shut him down. They get him back. We get to the end of the year. I do think that's a team that can put enough stress on an Alabama defense that's, that does have a bit of a drop-off. 
that will require Jalen Hurts to make some throws downfield that still so far, you know, the Alabama, there was a lot of talk about Alabama and Ohio State modernizing their offenses and, and evolving in the passing game. And you still haven't really seen that with either one of those programs so far. Kansas State, Vanderbilt. Kansas State's defense holds Vanderbilt to 11 first downs, 270 total yards, 2.0 rushing yards per attempt, and just 65 rushing yards for the entire game. And Kansas State loses 14-7. to Yeah, you got to win that game. With those, You just have to win that game. And, you know, that was a rock fight. And what really concerns me now Vanderbilt has been playing good defense in the SEC you know Bob Shoup had had some really good defenses there uh, when he was there with James Franklin they were winning they won nine games back to back years with offenses that could barely move the ball across the street Uh, the last few years Derek Mason who is a defensive uh, top defensive assistant for Harbaugh at Stanford they played they have been playing really good defense there. And so, and it's not and that might be, and I'm not kidding you, that might be the best defense Kansas State's going to play all year when you look at what the Big 12 schedule they have to come. Right. But but what concerns me, and I watched a lot of that game, Jesse Ernst was out there balling his ass off for Kansas State, their quarterback. Mm-hmm. Where were the other playmakers, man? That's, that's because – you're in a league where even if you're really good on defense, how many times have we talked about this, John? Even if you're really good on defense, the the cost to Annie in um, to a Big 12 game is 27 points. All right. right, that's the Annie. That's the Annie. If you can't put up 27 points, you're you're probably not beating anybody not called Baylor or Kansas in this conference this year. All right. So the Annie's even for a good defense, the Annie is 27 points. And you hold the you hold Vanderbilt to those anemic numbers, and you got Jesse Ernst out there running all over the field, and you don't have the playmakers to at least come up with another touchdown and a field goal. I'd be concerned about that if I were a Kansas State fan. Um, a couple more here, real quick. Uh, USC Texas game was so entertaining. That um, that that quarterback for for Texas is one tough kid. What a fun game there. Clemson, Louisville, not so much. I didn't. I got disinterested in that rather quickly because it was uh, a blowout, and Oklahoma State is a house of fire. We talked a little bit about them in our last podcast. Mississippi State just rolled it up on LSU. What were your thoughts on some of those games? Let's start with, um, you know, Clemson-Louisville is uh, – that's a scary game for the country. And the reason why it's a scary game for the country is not that they shut down Louisville. We actually saw several teams do this down the stretch. We saw Kentucky do it. We saw LSU do it. We saw Houston do it down the stretch last year. I mean, Lamar Jackson basically won the Heisman Trophy with what he did in September and October. Because in November, they that, that offense was shut down. The reason that's a scary game for the rest of the country is because Louisville said to Kelly Bryant, you're going to have – we saw you running all over Auburn. You're going to have to make some throws down the field against us. And he was all like, okay. Well, if they're going to throw the ball downfield like that, nobody's beating them with that defensive front. Nobody is. I mean, if if, if Kelly Bryant if, – if you make Kelly Bryant beat you, and he does, then you're done. You're done. I mean, 
you know, people forget how young they were last year. They lost a lot of their offensive skill players, but they had, I think, the second or third youngest two deep in total in the ACC. Hmm. So while Mike Williams and those major playmakers are all gone, the structure of the of the team outside of those you know guys is all back. So if Kelly Bryant and is connecting with Ray Ray McLeod and Dion Kane and you know these were guys who were depth guys or key reserves last year, if they're going to throw the ball downfield like that, particularly with Florida State playing a true freshman quarterback now, nobody's beating them in that conference. Nobody is. Although they do have one tricky road game here in a couple weeks at Virginia Tech. Fred Jackson, who is the old Michigan offensive coordinator running backs coach, his kid Josh Jackson is a redshirt freshman quarterback at Virginia Tech that is putting up disgusting numbers. And you know Virginia Tech can play defense. So that's really the last remaining challenge for Clemson They get because they get Florida State at home with a true freshman quarterback. So if Kelly Bryant's going to throw the ball like that, we'll see in the college football playoff for a third year in a row. Dabo. They're, they're not getting stopped. You mentioned um, – uh, Mississippi or oh, the USC Texas game, tremendous drama. Can I just say this though? Go for two. Yeah, okay. I agree. You have you have a, you, you have three yards to win a game, and you and it's in your own destiny. Do not get into a tit for tat with Sam Darnold. You just you, you, with a freshman quarterback that until the middle of the fourth quarter, Sam Englinger had been dreadful. John, dreadful. He was terrible. And then all of a sudden, something clicked in the middle of the fourth quarter. He's like, hey, I think we could win. But he was a liability for the first three and a half quarters of that game. You have three yards to go. USC's defensive front, they were basically on their second string defensive line. USC is lucky they're playing Cal this week, although Cal's 3-0, and because the last two weeks against Stanford and Texas, they are really a beaten-up football team. You have three yards to go. Go for the win, all right? Because you aren't going to, you're not going to, you, once that went to overtime, you know you're not going to stop Sam Darnold enough to beat him in that environment. So just go for the win there. Other than that, Tom Herman, 7-0 and now against the spread, against ranked teams as a head coach. And, and I think it's, a, it's criminal that Maryland's not in the top 25. Tell me who has a, tell me how many teams in college football three weeks in have a better road win than they do in Austin and I think by the time we get to the end of that year, that road win's going to look even better than we thought it was at the time. Because I think I think that's going to be a real statement kind of culture win, or, or, or not win, but game for for Texas in terms of reasserting themselves. They showed a level of physicality and a level of perseverance as a team that just you know, frankly, we we just never saw that during the Charlie Strong era. And if we did. He'd still be the head coach. And then you look at Mississippi State. Nick Fitzgerald's a hell of a quarterback. They just dominated that vaunted LSU defensive front. LSU, undisciplined, two guys ejected for targeting fouls. An offense that, again, can't take advantage of an all-world tailback, can't find consistent quarterback plays. Does any of this sound familiar to you, John? Mm -hmm. But the thing that's concerning, all that sounds familiar, but the thing that you didn't count on is Mississippi State's offensive front just dominated LSU. That's the part that you didn't see coming. And this is a team that all offseason you were amazed. What was there over under five and a half? Yes. Yeah, this is one of your like best bets of the year on the over. They were gonna be they were my they were they were gonna be my best bet over total of the year 
if if Vegas didn't have that ridiculous three and a half on Maryland that you just couldn't say no to. Okay. If it weren't for the three and a half on Maryland, Mississippi State over five and a half was going to be my best bet season win total of the year. All right. Well, that'll do it for me. This guy's got to go to bed. Thank you for listening to this, staying up or early drive in the morning. Steve and I'll be back at it on Thursday. I want to thank um, XL Brewing Company and Heartland Flagpoles and Flags for their sponsorship of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, you thought we were gone? No. As promised, this clip comes from December of 2014, the day Mike Riley was hired at Nebraska. Here's what Steve and I thought of that hire in its entirety. The big news, uh, the day that we record this podcast late in the evening on December the 4th, Thursday, um, at least big news around these parts, Nebraska making a very quick very quick hire. Their AD, Eichhorst, um, did not mess around with a search committee. I joked on Thursday that uh, Iowa would likely still be putting their search committee together in the time that Eichhorst went out and made his hire. Michigan actually may still be putting their search committee together. but um, And we'll talk about that in a bit as well. They hire 61-year-old Oregon State coach Mike Riley. Never won a conference title. Always has lost at least four games in a season. And Bo Pelini was fired because, you know, Nebraska's all about championships. I don't know, Steve. I mean, I know Riley's respected as a teacher of the game, as a, as a developer, as a guy that has an eye for talent. What were your thoughts on this? I mean, 61 is kind of long in the tooth to take over a program as demanding from a fan standpoint – uh, a rubber chicken circuit standpoint as Nebraska. Your thoughts? I thought it was a disastrous hire. Really? No, 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 no. Dude, don't sugarcoat it. What do you really think? <laughs> I, I, I Dumpster fire, hot mess, epic fail, um, disaster. In fact, I think this might be this, 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 this on the surface, sight unseen, is the worst major college coaching uh, decision I can think of in recent memory in terms of the total transaction. Un- it just makes no sense. It makes, it makes no sense. I mean, you're talking about a guy whose rushing offenses the last three years finished in ranked in the hundreds in college football. Here's his records. The last few years, five and seven, seven and six. There's one nine win season, three and nine, Five and seven. That's what he's done the last five years. Um, you know, he didn't build the program there. Dennis Erickson did. Dennis Erickson's the guy that resurrected that program. Um, it was not good when he was there before. And then he was terrible there that he was there. He was three and eight and five and six. Then he went to the NFL. Dennis Erickson came in. Uh, remember the, we still remember, remember they went Miami on Notre Dame in a BCS bowl. Remember that mm-hmm. several years ago, yeah. just routed him with Chad Johnson and all those and TJ Hushmanzana. And they were, and they were, they went Miami on him. I mean, they were uh, shucking, jiving, you know, smack talking, you know, he comes back from the program that Dennis Erickson built and has a few good years. Uh, their peak year was 2006. They won 10 games. They beat number one USC that year, but really the last four years, He's got an under 500 record in conference. He's never won a conference title. Uh, this seems to me to hire. This is Bill Callahan. 
Now we're going to run a pro-style offense with Tommy Armstrong? Enjoy. Uh, I, I don't it, – it makes he's 61 years old. Now, it's one thing if Michigan hires Les Miles at 61 because Michigan is a dumpster fire. You know, so if you're Michigan, if you bring in Les Miles to coach for five or six years to stabilize the patient wall, he's bleeding out. That's one thing. You just you just fired a guy after going nine and three to hire a 61-year-old coach that has won exactly as many championships as the guy you just fired. He's 61. He's going to get negative recruited, John, from day one. From day one, he's going to get negative recruited. Hey, how do you know your coach is going to be there while you're there? He's 61 years old. And, you know, the previous podcast we did, I said, Nebraska needs a hook. They need a niche. Tell me what the hook is here. Tell me what it is. Tell me when Mike Riley walks into a living room, tell me what he says that changes your mind and your perception if you're a 17-year-old recruit, changes your mind and perception about Nebraska football that you didn't think before. Tell me what that is. First of all, He's going to need to bring copies of his resume so people will know who he is in the living rooms of these families. You know who he is because you just know who he is. I know who he is because I watch a little football too. Only, I think, hardcore football fans have a clue who Mike Riley is. I I would say... 80 to 85 percent of people who at least casually tune into the sport would be able to within five seconds place who mike riley is and where he's coached namely because he's in the pacific northwest and people don't stay up and watch those games by and large unless they're hardcore football junkies or gamblers that's just the reality of it especially a guy who's been head coach at oregon state for 14 total years and has six seasons where he had an above 500 record in conference out of those 14. That means eight where he didn't. 58 and 63 overall in his Pac-12 head coaching career. I agree with you. I was shocked, utterly shocked, that he was the guy that they went and hired and that I-Course did it this quickly. And... You're right, Steve. There is absolutely no hook. There is no hook. And, and, and John, look, where, look at his last 20 years on his resume. Here's where he's been. Offensive coordinator at USC, head coach at Oregon State, then head coach of the San Diego Chargers. Uh, then he was uh, assistant coach for the New Orleans Saints. Then back to Oregon State for the last uh, you know uh, period of time that you just mentioned. And now at Nebraska. He has no recruiting ties to the area that you have to recruit at Nebraska. I, I don't know what Nebraska's thinking. This is not 1996 where they go get kids out of L.A. to come to, that don't that want to get out of that area because of the gangs. And it's, they also come to a different, it's also a different league that they're in that has a little yes. bit different recruiting rules. Those, those kids are go, those kids are playing in Oregon now. By the way, those kids that want to get out of the gang infested areas of L.A. Uh, they're playing in Oregon now. Um, and then you know UCLA's recruiting is back on the upswing. USC just made a coaching change. I mean, they're not going to go in there and get those kinds of kids now. It, it, this is the Big Ten. You're going to have to recruit Chicago. You, you, you will have to pick and choose on a national level where you get your key skill guys. But the bulk of your program is going to come from this footprint. They're still, in fact, they're even more isolated in recruiting. At least Bo Pelini was a Midwestern guy. They're still more, they're even more isolated now. 
And if this was really just about we don't want Bo Pelini as the face of our program, I don't mind that either. But then how about, you know, in, in, instead of, you know, making a change and making this decision in three days, how about you truly conduct then a national search? Truly. You mean to tell me Mike Riley's that much more qualified for this job than Scott Frost is? I don't well, see it. Let, let, me, let me run a theory by you that, that I thought of today, and I'm, maybe I wasn't the only one to think it. Apparently, it had been being dis- it was being discussed on Nebraska message boards too. But the and last- one, one, just say one more thing real quick before you do that. I, I'm worked up about this. This is bad for the Big Ten. We got to get our blue blood schools being blue buds again. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's not good for the league that that the Cadillac programs are are beneath expectations. That is not good for the conference. It's not. I mean, if you're Iowa and you're going to go eight and four and play in the Holiday Bowl, that means a lot more when the blue bloods are good than it does right now. Now it's a disappointing season. Seven eight years ago, that was a good year. You know, th- this is this is why Ohio State, beyond the loss to Virginia Tech, it wasn't just that they lost to Virginia Tech. It's that they had beaten nobody else other than Michigan State all year long because of how bad the league is. The league needs Nebraska not to make horse-pucky decisions like this. We all do. This is bad for the Big Ten. I mean, we passed on Missouri, which is one of the last two SEC Easts, and we just brought in Nebraska – who fired a guy because he didn't win any championships to hire a guy that didn't win any championships. <laughs> what the hell is that? Well, it, it, it makes me wonder, is there another shoot a drop? Do you, did you hire Riley this quickly because you're also then going to go out and hire Scott Frost to be your offensive coordinator slash co-head coach and basically have Riley mentor him for three to four years and then he takes over the program. That was the only thing that made sense to me. The only way that happens is if Mike Riley just hates life in Corvallis, Oregon. I mean, you want to talk about being undercut from day one. I mean, you're going to come in and play Yoda to, to Luke Skywalker? But, but Luke Skywalker's not going to Dagobah. You're going to train him there in his neighborhood in Tatooine. I, I, I mean, only if, wow. only, only if, did you like that? Only if Mike, Mike Riley just hates life in Corvallis, Oregon. Only, that's the only time. That's the only way I could see that being a scenario. The only way. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, th- there was, um, you know, Tom Lemming uh, on Thursday on Twitter was saying that he heard whispers that Ed Orgeron maybe was going to be his defensive coordinator and obviously a great recruiter. I-, I don't know. Another guy, though, with no ties to this region. Yeah. I mean, no it- ties to this region. You can be a great recruiter all you want. You're going up against legacy schools that have a 70-year head start on you recruiting this region. Right. You better bring in somebody that has relationships that overcomes that cachet. Ed Orgeron doesn't do that. If Ed Orgeron did that, his ass wouldn't have been unemployed this year. Someone else would have hired him. Because recruiting is the one thing that you – you and I have had this conversation before. There's only so many good players. They, they – at some point, Nebraska needs to recognize they're a Big Ten team, John. At some point, they need to say, you know, I think we're in the Big Ten. We should probably get people that might actually be tied to the region from the players that we have to recruit from. Let's try that. See what happens. This is, you're, you're, this, you're a Big Ten team. If you were going to do this, just keep Bo Pelini. Just keep Bo Pelini. 
Tell them, to, tell them to bring in a better offensive coordinator or something. I don't know. But this makes absolutely no sense to me. I, I think it's a disastrous move. Absolutely disastrous. Completely agree with Teddy Greenstein at the Chicago Tribune. The, 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 he, he nailed it. The Cornhuskers just hired Mark Tressman. That's what they did. Another, another guy whose best days as a coach were in the Canadian Football League. Hmm. Muy, muy bien. Yeah, I, I just to me it, it's it's such a head scratching move to put it as nicely as I can, since you've pretty much uh, done a good job of going scorched earth. It, it's such a head scratching move to me. I'm just sitting here waiting for okay, and what else? What what's something that would make sense of this? And that's and and the frost angle is the only angle I could come up with that made they're it. They're going to have to make another. They're going to do another search in four or five years, even if it works. Even if it works, they're going to hire another coach in four or five years. Even if it works, you know, it I, makes absolutely no sense at all. I None. Heard, I heard Stephen and Sipple of the um, Lincoln uh, Husker apologist extraordinaire. Uh, alleged, alleged reporter, and he's a great guy on the radio. But dude is is not a reporter. He is a sycophant. That's what he is. Well, that's kind of you just described most of the media members that follow Nebraska. Okay. Yes, I used to joke that when I was in the Iowa State press box, the media sec, the, the Nebraska section of the press box would stand at the fight song. I mean, th- th- there's a reason that press boxes in this region of the country have to give the announcement before games. This is a working press box. No cheering in the in the press box. That's the uh, mo- the the commemorative Nebraska warning. Um, <laughs> but Stephen, he is good on the radio. And he, um, you know, he was talking with Ken Miller about this, and he brought up an interesting point. Tom Osborne retired when he was 61. And Tom Osborne, when he hired Tim Miles, when Osborne was AD a few years ago for Nebraska before stepping away, when he hired Tim Miles to be their basketball coach, he made some comments to the effect that, it's kind of a young man's game coaching is and he hired tim miles partly because of the energy that miles possessed and would bring to the job because he felt it was required i just don't i mean listen i 61 doesn't seem as old to me now as it used to but my dad was born in 1948 and my quick west branch math skills tells me he's 66 so he's only five years younger than Mike Riley. I can't for a second imagine him coaching uh, a Division One football team. I just don't get it. I don't think it will you work. You know who the, you, you, you ought to be cheering if you're in Iowa City or Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, I listen. You I, absolutely I are. At all. Your, your window of opportunity just increased is what happened. And can all those Nebraska players that went out there and defended Bo, and I'll say that I thought they were right to fire Bo. I didn't think he was a great coach. But we, we sat here last week and noted how tough those kids fought hard for him down the stretch of that game when Iowa was blowing them out and how hard they fought for him all the way to the end. And they pulled that out in overtime. I mean, then you, then you have all those kids go nuclear nuclear option on Twitter, on social media. And then you say to them, Hey guys, here's your new coach. The guy that went five and seven in Oregon state last year. And the guy that everybody says is one of the nicest guys you can meet. Yeah, I, I just I, – he's, I, I he's the anti, but you, you know how this goes. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. The Big Ten needs Nebraska good. The Big Ten needs Michigan good. This, though, to me, it is, looks like a disaster. Well, so often 
the next coach is the polar opposite of the previous coach. Well, and you know, you hear in college basketball when a kid takes a bad shot and the announcer says, you know, you took that shot that early in the shot clock. We could have gotten that shot with five seconds Agreed. on the clock. Agreed. You could have hired this guy a month from now if everybody else said no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If everybody else said no, you could have got this guy a month from now. You do a three-day search, and this is what you roll out with? Really? Good freaking night. Fireable offense. I agree. Well, we'll see how it works out. This this athletic director is probably not going to hire another football coach in Nebraska. Would be my guess. 